0: Uh, Hebrews 8, beginning with the uh, first verse and reading through uh, the chapter. Uh, I have the uh, New American Standard. I know some of you, you have other versions. Uh, follow along as uh, we uh, read Hebrews chapter 8. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest has also something to offer. Now, if he were on earth he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain." But now he has obtained a much more excellent ministry by as much as he also is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And after those days, says the Lord, I will put My law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be My people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know Me from the least to the greatest of them." For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. May God be pleased to bless the reading of, our, of the word to us. Uh, We pray. Uh, Let's pray together now. Lord, thank You uh, for this Your Word. We uh, pray that as we uh, take now a short time to look into it, that You'd be pleased to uh, give us Your grace. We uh, pray that You'll uh, deeply work in our hearts and apply uh, Your covenant uh, to us uh, that we indeed would know that we belong to You. Bless us to this end, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. God has made you and me creatures of habit. And for better or for worse, this is the way it is. There are those who like to use this idea of are being creatures of habit for evil. And uh, you don't have to go far to uh, understand uh, that this is the case. I'm uh, a little amused at uh, the television uh, uh, cable uh, companies who are uh, trying to get uh, folks like us to binge watch various series on TV and uh, get those uh, themes and those series embedded in our hearts and in our brains. It's quite startling that this is the case. Uh, But God also uses this idea uh, that we are creatures of habit uh, for His good. And uh, you no doubt have uh, various habits uh, of life yourself. And uh, I suspect you have uh, certain procedures that uh, you follow when you get up in the morning. And uh, sometimes if those uh, procedures are inadvertently altered, uh, uh, it kind of uh, uh, throws a kink into the day. Uh, uh, So it shows that we are rather creatures of habit, uh, doesn't it? Uh, I see some of you smiling at this prospect. Uh, You also uh, understand that uh, reading the Bible regularly, Praying on a regular basis, see, doing this in a habitual manner, coming to worship with God's people on the Lord's Day, and doing these kinds of things are an important aspect of the Christian life. And you and I need to understand that it's not just the discipline of doing these things that is important. Having the discipline is important. But it's not just the discipline alone that's important. All of these things are designed to lead you and me to Christ so that we will learn not to cling to the outward forms and the discipline, but learn to cling to Christ. And this is the theme To which I want to go this evening uh, in uh, this message, utilizing Hebrews chapter 8. And uh, when we understand uh, the uh, Hebrew people, uh, part of the problem that they were faced with, the Jewish people, that uh, they began to cling to the outward forms and the discipline of doing Uh, particular aspects of worship, of going to the synagogue on a regular basis to hear the Word of God, of going to the temple services on a regular basis to hear the Word of God. But those things became an end in themselves and they failed to see that these things were to lead them to Christ. And so, we don't want to make the same error. Uh, You and I ought not to make the same error. But we ought to use the means to lead us to Christ. And we ought to cling, therefore, to Christ, knowing that these means assist us in this purpose. Uh, Let's see how the text uh, handles uh, this idea. Uh, Hebrews chapter 8 Uh, Verses 1 and 2. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched. Jesus Christ serves in the true tabernacle the true tent of meeting in heaven. And in the context, the writer to the Hebrews begins in verse 1 by saying, now the main point is in what has been said is this, we have such a high priest. And if you look back, Uh, just a little bit into Hebrews uh, chapter 7 and verse 17 and in verse 21, you see little quotations from Psalm 110 and verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not uh, change His mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A priest was predicted to arise in the family of kings, which would be a new thing. But this is what was predicted. And uh, this priest would be holy, harmless, and undefiled, separated from sinners. This priest, as the end of verse 28 says, would be made perfect forever. And this priest is what the writer to the Hebrews has been laying before us, the idea of this priest. And now he says, we have. We have such a high priest. This is the startling thing. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. He's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. And you know that the right hand of the throne is the position of authority. So that Jesus Christ carries in His hand all the authority of God Himself. We have such a high priest. A minister, verse 2, says, in the sanctuary or the holy place and the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched, not man. The heavens themselves are this true tabernacle this dwelling place of God. And this is where our Lord Jesus resides. In the tent that the Lord pitched, not man, the text tells us. And the idea here is that all the heavens Belong to God, His dwelling place. In comparison to this, Moses, Moses ministered in a faulty earthly tent or tabernacle that was a mere copy and shadow of the heavenly drop down now to verse 4 and following now if he were on earth that is this new high priest Jesus Christ he would not be a priest at all why since there are those who offer gifts and uh, gifts according to the law It was according to the law that was given to Moses on the mountain that the priests of the Old Covenant and the Old Testament were ordained. It was in accordance with this law uh, that uh, they were set in uh, their office. And uh, verse 5 goes on to say, "...who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things." just as Moses was warned by God when He was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, He says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Moses was given a pattern of the heavenly. In other words, this tabernacle that was erected on earth was to show forth in a symbolic way, the things of heaven. And as it turns out, this earthly tabernacle was simply a shadow and a copy of heavenly things. It was to show forth a pattern of that which is in heaven. For example, when the old priests entered the tabernacle, before them they saw an altar of burnt offering. And those offerings set forth morning and evening were designed to point to the sacrifice of Christ. And when they entered the tabernacle proper, uh, on the uh, right-hand side, uh, there was uh, the table of showbread, twelve loaves of bread pointing to Christ, the bread of life. And on the left-hand side was a, a candelabra that the priest went in and trimmed morning and evening, pointing to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. And right in front of the priest, as he went into that court, was an altar of burnt offering. And morning and evening, he would throw incense on that altar. And the incense would rise. And uh, the idea there was that the prayers of God's people would be mixed with the prayers of the priest. That the prayers of God's people would be mixed with the prayers of Jesus Christ. And going behind the veil, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. And on the two sides of the mercy seat, uh, two cherubim who uh, reached up and uh, their wings touched. Uh, This was a representation of the throne of God. And the high priest would go in to that chamber once a year and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. And it should have reminded those Old Testament priests that the Savior was coming and that His blood would reconcile His people to God. This was the idea of that old tabernacle. But now, but now, in comparison, once again, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says in verses 6 and following, but now he has obtained a much more excellent ministry. See? Back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has obtained a much more excellent ministry by as much as He also is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless... say, Here's the startling thing that the writer to the Hebrews is saying now, that first covenant was faulty and a new and better covenant was needed. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been uh, no occasion sought for a second. But finding fault with them, finding fault with those Old Testament ceremonies and those Old Testament priests, finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant. And we could put it this way, there's a better covenant, a newer covenant on better promises. And how is it that it's a better covenant? It's a better covenant in the fact that in the newer covenant, you have the reality Jesus Christ presented You do not, you no longer have the shadows and the copies of heaven, but you have Jesus Christ himself presented to us. And there are better promises because the promises are now not the promise of an earthly home. Cross the Jordan and you have an earthly home, people. No, it's a better covenant because now you cross, as some have called it, the verge of Jordan and enter heaven, a heavenly home. And this is why it's of supreme goodness and greatness. It is a better uh, covenant, uh, because of these things. And so, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is making this comparison. And one of the reasons he's making this comparison is that those to whom he's writing are drawing back from Christ and drawing back from the Gospel And putting their reliance on those outward means of going to the synagogue and going to the temple and offering those sacrifices. And so the writer to the Hebrews is reminding them, don't turn back. Don't turn away. Because Christ ushers in a better covenant on better promises. Well, let's look a little bit further. The writer to the Hebrews now quotes from Jeremiah 31. And uh, we'll go back to verse eight once again. For finding fault with them, he says. Uh, This is striking. Why does the writer to the Hebrews quote from Jeremiah 31? The writer to the Hebrews quotes from Jeremiah 31, at least this is his stated reason, he quotes from Jeremiah 31 to show that the older covenant is faulty and that a newer covenant is needed. Listen again. "...for finding fault with them." That is, those old services and those uh, priests ordained under the law. He says, "...behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in My covenant, nor did I care for them. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put My law into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. Uh, Yes, indeed, Moses did take ancient Israel by the hand and lead them through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God came down in smoke and fire and met with the people through Moses. And God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, His law, written in stone. Written in stone. It was by and large, an external covenant. It was, by and large, an external law. This is the comparison the writer to the Hebrews is making. And he's saying, Now I'm coming to you with a better covenant because it's internal, not external. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. The way the translators put it is important. The translators do not put it this way. I shall put my laws into their minds. And I shall write them on their hearts. That would be the way of indicating that, oh, yeah, something's going to happen in the future. No. The translators rightly put it this way. I will. This is not a statement with regard to some vague future event. This is a declaration of the truth of God concerning that which will take place. I will write them, uh, put My laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. This is God's declaration And part of what God declares He will do is overturn the results of the fall. We heard pastors speak a little bit about this this morning. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. And as created in the image of God, they bore in their persons the character of God. And the law of God is an outline of God's character. And now, what has God promised to do? He's going to renew that inward, profound, God-like character in His people. No ifs, ands, or buts. This is God's declaration of truth. This is His promise to the likes of you and me. And this covenant is better also from the perspective that it actually does carry out the promises that were given so long ago. Uh, Look again at the text at the end of verse 10 and the beginning of verse 11. And I will be their God. See, there's that declaration again. And I will be their God, and they shall be My people. See, this is God's basic covenant promise to the people of old. I will be your God, and you shall be My people. And part of the beauty of worship is Every Lord's Day is the fact that when you and I come together to hear the Word of God read and to hear the preaching of the Word of God, God is about the business of reaffirming to you and to me, to our hearts, that we actually do belong to Him. That He's done a great work in our hearts and we do belong to Him and that He is in fact our God. He declares this to us and assures us of this fact. And verse 11 further, And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know Me from the least to the greatest. And God is about this business of bringing uh, people like you and me into a firm and eternal knowledge of Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what God is about. And week by week, as we come together together, to worship, this is part of what God is doing. Uh, Praise be unto God uh, that this is the case. And the capstone comes in verse 12. Uh, Because of all of this, because of the effecting of this new covenant, which is internal rather than external, and assures us of a relationship with the living God, because of all of this, there is a permanent, a permanent dealing with sin. Verse 12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. How is it that God will be merciful to iniquities. Turn back to verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. And you know as well as I do that Jesus Christ our great high priest had something to offer himself. As Peter says, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And in his body, he bore the penalty due to the likes of you and me for our sin. And when you go back to verse 12, and you see what Jesus did, it should be easy to understand that He will be merciful to our iniquity because of what Jesus has done. And He says, I will remember their sin no more. I will remember your sin no more. Now, this doesn't mean that your sin and my sin is erased from God's memory banks. God knows everything and He will always know all. But what this indicates is that God, because He has dealt mercifully with you, He promises... He will never bring up your sins again and use them against you. He will remember your sins no more. There's a freedom there that can only come through Jesus Christ. And I say to you, therefore, that the text is leading you and me to cling to Christ, to cling to Christ. Having various disciplines is good. having the discipline of daily prayer, having the discipline of daily Bible reading, having the discipline of attending worship services, having the discipline of attending Bible studies and Bible classes is good. But these things are not an end in themselves. All of these things, are meant to lead you to Jesus Christ in order for you to cling to Christ. And the difficulty once again with the ancient Hebrews to whom this letter was written was that they were lapsing back into their old habits and turning back away from Christ and forgetting that all those services in the temple and the reading of the Scriptures in the synagogue were meant not to be an end in themselves, but to lead them to Christ. And so you and I also need to take care. This morning, we had the privilege of celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And as I uh, sat in the chair over here, and uh, the cups were passed, and I took one of the little cups, and I held the cup in my hand, I thought to myself, isn't this an odd and a strange ceremony? If you just come in and look at what people were doing. But then I thought to myself, no, it's not an odd and a strange ceremony because God Himself has designated this ceremony as a means by which He is pleased to refresh each one of us in the Gospel in what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's meant to focus our attention on Jesus Christ and help us to cling to Christ. This would be the point, would it not? Use the means that God has been pleased to give to lead you to Christ so that you can cling to Him. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, do thank You that uh, this is Your desire for us and we pray that more and more as Your people, we will learn to use the various means that You have given to us to lead us to You and to Your Son, Jesus Christ that we might evermore cling to Him. We pray that You'd be pleased to bless and strengthen us to this end in the good and gracious name of Jesus. Amen.